Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Bill, somebody ought to ram fried goat cheese up his ass. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1988 coming-of-age dramedy Mystic Pizza, starring Annabeth Gish, Julia Roberts, and Lily Taylor. Directed by Donald Petrie, this movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 44 minutes. This is episode 4 of our Summer at the Cinema series, where all the movies we discuss in the month of July take place during the summer. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. The picturesque seaside resort of Mystic, Connecticut is home to three young waitresses who decide their futures are as appetizing as yesterday's pizza. Beautiful, sexy Daisy, superstar Julia Roberts, plans to build a future on her smile. But rich white bread Charlie, Adam Stork, turns out to be more challenging than she bargained for. Feisty Jojo, Lily Taylor, is teetering on the verge of a stable married life with Bill, Vincent Philip D'Onofrio, but visions of diapers and dusting make her faint at the altar. Bookworm Cat, Annabeth Gish, has a Yale scholarship, but takes a summer recess to fall for a handsome married man. These three couples discover that life has a secret ingredient. Romance is a spice worth savoring and the future can always deliver during one special summer in a place called Mystic. Mystic Pizza, a romantic comedy with the works. Oh, there we go, Mystic Pizza with the works. Somebody order a Mystic Pizza with the works. Yeah. That was what's on the box. Jason, how are you doing? Feeling good, man. Ready to get into this one. This was nice to revisit. I'm probably going to be using the word nice a lot this evening, actually. Do you want to just jump right in? Well, I'm sorry. You know, that's rude. That's rude. How are you, Bill? I'm doing nice. Yeah? You feeling nice? Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice day. It was nice out. Watching a nice movie. It's a nice evening to record a nice podcast. So let's do some uh, nice earliest memories. Yeah. All right. You know what? What what the hell are we talking about? Mystic Pizza. That's right. Mystic Pizza from the year 1988. I think, Bill Bant, it's a distinct possibility that I saw this in the theater, but I don't know with whom. I have no idea. <laughs> I just feel like I saw this in the theater. I remember that the Mystic Pizza place was an upstairs joint. That's such a weird, subtle, and specific detail. I remember that the fact that it was upstairs, I thought that was kind of cool as a kid. I don't know if I was just used to all restaurants being one level, like the ground level. Definitely remember the fact that it was upstairs, kind of the rustic exterior of the place, and thus also the look and feel of this rural, small seaport town of Mystic. I like that as a kid. There was a romantic feel to it, a romanticism about the entire atmosphere of this. So I, that is an early memory for me. Of course, the indelible, the one and only Julia Roberts, beautiful, spunky, the hair, the smile. She stands out. She just does. She's a star. So I definitely remember her from this movie. Really? I mean, that's about it. I, I did have vague memories of the, of the plot, that being 
it's uh, you know a small story, a small film in a small town about these girls and, and friends and sisters and a love story and that it was pretty simple, but it was bittersweet. And thus, that's what I was expecting going into this rewatch. To be honest, Bill Bant, whether I saw it in the theater or not, I may have seen it then again, maybe one time or caught parts of it on cable at some point after the initial viewing, but the viewings were limited. This was probably the second or third time I've ever seen this film since 1988, to be completely honest. So uh, let, let me just say this. It, it was nice. What about your earliest memories of Mystic Pizza, Bill Bant? Yeah, I'll be honest, too. This is probably the second time I've seen it myself. And the first time I did see it, it was a rental. I believe I'm not the one that rented it. That was probably my mom. But going into the movie, kind of funny, because when you look back and you look at the cast, and you look at everybody that's in it. For me, the only people I knew in the cast watching it was Annabeth Gish, who played Kat because of her role in Hiding Out with John Cryer and Keith Coogan, which was uh, a fun 80s watch that will at some point talk about in a future episode sure i did not realize it was uh vincent d'onofrio from full metal jacket i didn't, I didn't realize it was the same person that totally caught me off guard uh, until after the fact i actually knew who um conchetta Farrell was who was the owner of mystic pizza uh she was in the show called er um not the one with george clooney but actually, George Clooney was in the show. He just wasn't the main character. It was a comedy with Elliot Gould that only lasted one season. But she was the second lead in that uh, show. Wow. So it was interesting that the reason I was watching this movie is because of Annabeth Gish. And now the big reason about the movie is Julia Roberts. I don't remember that much about the movie going back. I just remember everything took place in a pizza parlor. And one of the girls was going to get married, but didn't want to get married. <laughs> And then there was the storyline with uh, Annabeth Gish, she's a cat, and she was babysitting and something going on with uh, the couple she was babysitting for. And I didn't really remember that much of Julia Roberts' storyline, except mm-hmm. the guy with the Porsche. And I'm sure we'll talk about that scene later on, so I'll, I'll save it for later. So I didn't remember that much about the movie, but I was really excited to go back and watch this again just to see how it held up, what would come back to me when I was watching it, and just to see if the movie was uh, nice. (laughs) That's great. All right. Pretty straightforward. I appreciate that. Let's just get into the initial thoughts then. Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about how we felt about this movie today. I like to start by talking about where are they at, meaning where are they at, our stars at this point in time, and Got to start with uh, our superstar or who would become a superstar after this film. That's, of course, Julia Roberts as Daisy Arujo. This is definitely her discovery role before the breakout role that we all know as Pretty Woman. Before this film, she'd done an episode of Crime Story in 87. She'd done a film called Satisfaction in 88. And in 88 as well, she was on Miami Vice. That's right. An episode called Mirror Image. She played the role of Polly Wheeler. She does this film and then Steel Magnolias in 89 as well and Pretty Woman in 90 and then she's off to the races. And we know, of course, what happens. Yes, after that, she's just blows up. She's huge and well-deserved. We all love Julia Roberts. We get uh, Annabeth Gish, whom you had mentioned, absolutely adorable in this film 
and very young as the younger sister to Julia Roberts. She plays, like you mentioned, Kat Arugio. She had kind of a light 80s. She had Desert Bloom, Hiding Out, and Shag. Those are a few of her films. And then, of course, this. We get uh, the great Lily Taylor as Jojo Barbosa. She's the friend to the sisters. There's basically, we have the three ladies are the three protagonists in this particular film. We have the Arugio sisters, Daisy and Kat, and then Lily Taylor as Jojo, their friend. And she had a solid 80s uh, leading up to this. She was also in an episode of Crime Story. Uh, she had a part in She's Having a Baby. After this film, she's great in Say Anything and then has a role in Born on the Fourth of July. More recently, known for The Conjuring. I just watched her in Outer Range, which was a weird one. I kind of liked it, though. Lily Taylor's awesome. We get the you, <laughs> Vincent Philip D'Onofrio, as he was credited and known yes. as early in his career. Before this film in 87, he also did an episode of Miami Vice entitled The Afternoon Plane. He played a character called Leon Wolf. And as you mentioned, Bill Bant, he then has the iconic role of Private Pyle in Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. I'll never forget that part. Oh, no. If you ever hear him talk about why, how that changed his whole trajectory, his career and how that, that particular role. Uh, it's memorable. If you haven't seen the film, watch it. You'll never forget his character. I can guarantee. So then he goes on to play Dawson, as we know, AKA Thor in Adventures in Babysitting, which we covered on this podcast. And of course he's still doing it. I always loved him in Law and Order, Criminal Attempt. And uh, in the most, most recent times here, he, I, in my humble opinion, I think he absolutely kills it as Kingpin. Kingpin in the Daredevil show on Netflix, and then reprises his role in Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. So getting into the movie, man, initial thoughts. Otherwise, uh, besides our stars, uh, we have the opening credits and we're seeing some great early photos of our protagonists, the three girls, Cat, Daisy, and Jojo. And there's some terrible Photoshop. Oh, yeah. That was some of my complaints. <laughs> there were some adorable pictures of the kids. And then anytime they try to put two of them together, it's like, oh, now like, I see oh. why Photoshop was invented. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess this is 88, right? So technically didn't have Photoshop as we know it back then. But they did a little cut and paste and it didn't quite work. No. So the shadows are a little off. There's some great photos in there regardless. As soon as the film starts... I just felt like, and I'm skipping over the initial wedding scene, but when they get you get to Mystic Pizza, the restaurant, you get a feel for the town. It really does have a romantic feel about it with that small town flavor, which I appreciate having grown up in a small town. But I also am a fan of the East Coast in particular, because it does have a very romantic feel, those seaport kinds of towns. And there's just a, a, a the essence, the atmosphere is there, the romanticism of it all. And you have these young stars. I mean, as I mentioned, the, the, you get the three girls, you're introduced to them, and you we get a feel for who they are, what their characters are about. It's a smart uh, way to start the film. As I, I'm often saying on these podcasts, I'm a fan of how the movies start. You know, how does it, how do we come out of the gate? But uh, just, you know, my initial thought is just to see Julia Roberts, Annabeth Gish, and Lily Taylor. This is really a coming-of-age film, but it's a coming-of-age for our stars. I mean, they're just, we see them just before they all take yep. off and become the names that we know them to be. And that includes D'Onofrio, too. 
Uh, so they're they're just about to hit their prime right here. They're fresh, they're raw, innocent. It feels like the beginnings of a lot of things for a lot of people in this movie. So that there's kind of that inherent excitement, knowing what we know now, watching this movie. Uh, I love the Peg Leg Pub. I think it's a great name for a pub. Oh, I love that too. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of a place called TJ's Roadhouse that uh, was in Antioch, Illinois, where we used to go. And anyway... It's the town bar. It's the town pub. It's where everybody goes. It kind of has a warmth about it. Loved it. I like the fact that they serve wine in like tall glasses. Yes. Very classy. But that's what like a, a dive bar type pub would do. You're not, not going to get like nice glassware. That's what you That's what you get when you order white wine at the Peg Leg Pub. I was surprised they even had the white wine. Right. <laughs> and then here's somebody you don't. You don't hear about him as much anymore, but he does have a solid filmography, and that's Adam Stork, who plays Charlie Windsor, the romantic interest in this. And it's interesting because I'm watching them like, what the heck happened to this guy? But look him up. I mean, the guy's the guy's worked. He's working. I mean, he's but he, I thought he had a great look. And I'm thinking, Bill, this is just again another initial thought. Did he get course corrected almost immediately? Because he could have been like Patrick Swayze's brother. Funny enough, he kind of has a Matt Damon type of look. Yes. A little bit older than Matt Damon. But as we'll talk about, you know, it's funny enough, he could be and is Matt Damon's brother. (laughs) (laughs) You know, before he had done this film, Adam Stork was on the soap opera Search for Tomorrow. Funny enough, after this, he does an episode of Miami Vice. Go figure. Man, this is like a feeding ground. Uh, He was an episode called Leap of Faith. He plays a character named Ray Monday. But after this, uh, he just, yeah, he does a bunch of episodes on TV shows. Anyway, it's just an initial thought. I thought he was pretty good in this, had a great look, uh, good looking kid. I was like, what happened to Adam Stork? Another initial thought, when he goes over to Daisy's house, he's trying to woo her after he meets her initially at the Peg Leg Pub early in the movie. He's sitting in the girl's living room. I was like, well, that's one way to go score a date with a small town girl. Just find out where she lives and wait for her in her living room. Okay. But those were the days. You just didn't have cell phones. You just got to somehow you got to ask around and it's a small town. So you can find out where people live. I just thought that was funny that he all of a sudden shows up in her living room. Probably used a phone book. Yeah, right. So I thought it was funny in your earliest memories, you mentioned that Annabeth Gish was kind of like the one of the reasons, if not a main reason you saw the movie. And I recalled seeing Julia Roberts, but... Now and as an adult, I have to say, Bill, in my opinion, Lily Taylor really steals this movie. That's just my opinion. I think she's absolutely adorable. I concur. And she steals every scene. She's just magnetic in this movie. So cute and very 80s, the way she dresses in the big full hair, like curly hair and everything like that. Now, don't get me wrong, Julie Roberts. Her hair steals a lot of scenes in this movie. But Lily Taylor looks fantastic. Her performance is so spot on. And just her range of emotions, she's just uh, relatable. And you just want to hug her and tell her everything's going to be all right. And she's funny. She's really funny and very cute. So that's an initial thought. I appreciate what this movie does in capturing a specific window of a time in a young person's life. That time just after high school, pre-college years, when you feel like it's time to make something of yourself. There's the pressure, the decisions you feel you need to make in beginning to map out the rest of your life. Is it going to be school? Are you going to college? Is it going to be marriage? Or is your plan not having a plan? 
just like Julia Roberts' character in this movie. So I think the movie does a good job of capturing that entire feel. My overall take as an adult now, I think the movie's nice. It's sweet. It's straightforward. There's not a lot of complexity to this. A lot of it's on the surface. The performances are solid. The movie itself is kind of a metaphor for the actors' careers within it. We're just seeing the surface of what they could be, and then in the actor's case, what they will be. Um, So, yeah, the first thing I just want to ask before I get into my initial thoughts, what did you think the ages were of the three women in this movie? That's a great question, and I guess it was in the back of my mind. It's funny that I actually didn't look that up, because that's usually one of the things I'll do right away. So, so I was thinking going in that Kat was probably 18 or 19 because she's supposed to be going into her freshman year of college. Are, are you, so, so, Excuse me. I'm sorry to interrupt. Are you asking what do I think the characters' ages are? Yes, the, the character actresses. Okay, yeah, the, the characters' ages. ages. So that I did think about, but you, you go first. Okay. So I was thinking Kat's either 18, just about to turn 19. I was going to say that Daisy was probably 21, and then I was going to put JoJo at 23. Ah, now I had exactly the same for Kat. I, I was thinking 18. Okay. And I would have said same, yeah, same for Daisy. She feels at least two years older, so either 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. She definitely looks a bit older and looks a, just slightly more mature. Obviously, she's still young. Jojo, you had Jojo older, huh? Well, just because of the whole wedding, because I was like, ah, I don't think she's going to get married at 21. Right. No, it's a good point. I was like, ah, maybe 22, 23. I just assumed maybe that because of the inherent, like the relationship that they're best friends. Now, granted, they may have become friends from working at Mystic Pizza together. I had a feeling like, as in that they also gone to school together. So I put Jojo and Daisy kind of in the same age range. So I was thinking Jojo was also 21, 22. But yeah, your logic makes sense. She's probably a little, yeah, maybe a year or two older. So that makes sense. Yeah. I think in real life, Julia Roberts and Lily Taylor were both 20 and Annabeth Gish was 17. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So moving on. So basically this movie is really about three relationships. So you have uh, Jojo and Bill, and Bill wants to get married to Jojo, and Jojo has cold feet. So it's the whole, are they, are they not? What's her hang up? Why does he so want to get married? Why can't he wait? And then we have this relationship with Kat and the husband of this family she's babysitting for, and she has this crush on him, and he's starting to see that he has the crush, and it's a... Are they going to act upon it? And it's such a no-no and people are trying to warn her or at least Daisy's trying to warn her. And it's like, oh, where's this going to go? And then you have Daisy, who's this relationship with Charlie. And it's the the guy from the, you know, the rich guy dating the girl on the wrong side of the tracks. And where's that going to go? How's that dynamic going to work? What What is the family going to think that Charlie's dating someone that's not in his group per se but when i was thinking about it like if i was to rate the relationships in the movie just watching the movie to me and this kind of piggybacks on what you say about lily taylor the most interesting one was jojo and bill that's the one i wanted to watch that's the one i wanted to see what Mm -hmm. was going on the second one was actually cat and what was going to happen with tim and then third was was daisy and charlie because it's something we've seen over and over again and we've seen it done better 
And the only thing that really just keeps that interesting is the fact that it is Julia Roberts playing the Daisy role. And she repeats this kind of character in future movies and she's done it better in future movies. But I mean, it was still it was still interesting. And just the fact that everything's in the hub of Mystic Pizza and how they kind of interact and kind of bounce things off of each other. So I thought that was kind of neat that there was like that central hub and then they kind of break off into their storylines. But the storyline to me that was most interesting was the Jojo and Bill, to be honest. And when we get in the favorite scenes, it'll definitely uh, back that up also. So that's, yeah, that was really just my initial thoughts. It was really just, it was kind of interesting that there there is like that central hub and then just kind of breaks off into the other storylines and then just how the, the women intersect throughout the film and try to lean on one another or get advice from one another on how they should move on. So I thought that was very interesting. That's great. That's great. And you were basically scratching the surface of what I'll get into a little bit more in detail later, but that's where I felt this film could have used a bit more development watching it now is with those relationships, because like you just defined it very well and they're pretty well defined in the movie. You, it's very straightforward, but as you just described those relationships, that's pretty much it. It's like there's a push and pull between Jojo and Bill because Jojo's not ready to get married. He is ready. He's ready to go, but she's just not. So she's dealing with that. But that's like we don't I wish we would have gotten more of that because their dynamic is wonderful. The chemistry is wonderful. They're fun to watch as, as these young actors who are raw and so good. They're just they're really good. Very natural. And. Like you said, in the other relationship, I, I think Annabeth Gish is very good. She's She is so young and she plays innocent very well and an innocent who is falling in love probably for the first time, like really falling in love. But we're not seeing a lot of levels of these relationships. And then especially like you'd mentioned with Julia Roberts and Adam Stork's character, uh, Charles Windsor Jr. We know, again, like you said, he's the rich kid. It's very like pretty in pink the class separation, class difference, and she's from the wrong side of the tracks, but that's it. Just as you stated, and just as I am being redundant right now and repeating what you said, Bill, but that's it. That's all we get. Then they kind of skirt around it and then just things kind of happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm going back and forth on it a little bit though, because I just wrote this down before we got online. When this stuff happens as a teenager, and I appreciate this is a coming of age film when they're all in relationship situations that they're trying to make the right decisions, but it's kind of new and it, they're trying to also figure out the rest of their lives, where they go from here. And something that may seem on the surface to me as a viewer, as an adult right now, to a teenager, somebody at that point in your life, and I should know, thinking back upon those times, something that appears superficial means everything to you at that time. It doesn't even necessarily have to have levels. Maybe we'll figure it out in this podcast. I'm not sure if this movie has to have that many levels. I would have appreciated a little bit more development, but maybe I'm just overthinking it. Yeah, I'll be honest, because the way the whole cat uh, tim uh, relationship works and well, ends up not working, I was really crushed for Kat there at the end. Even 100%. Like you said, even though there wasn't really that development that you kind of would want in this, but still at the end, I, just, I was just like, man why 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 what what did you what were you thinking yeah and what was he thinking you're both so stupid right but i felt so bad for her i really did i was really like oh i just want to give her a hug also oh yeah yeah i have that in a uh as one of my favorite moments yeah, let's get into it then let's get into some of our favorite scenes and moments of the movie our favorite scenes and moments 
Hey, from the very beginning, after our montage of child photos of our three protagonists, we start right off with Jojo getting married to Bill. Lily Taylor is great from the get. Her expression? (laughs) Oh, I thought she was like drugged. They were dr- I was like, we're going to find out she was drugged and they're dragging her out there. Because she is dazed, bewildered, faint-hearted. She's in shock, apparently. She doesn't know what's happening, but this wedding is overwhelming for her and it is all over her face, behind the veil. She looks beautiful. She looks adorable. Her father is walking her down the aisle and her mouth is agape. She's looking around as if like she's walking in a, in a dream. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And she doesn't know what to make of it, but it's too much for her, clearly. And we know that once she gets up to the altar, and what doesn't help, certainly, is that the priest is going on and on and on about how this is going to be forever, and that basically you can't break the sacred bond or else you're going to hell. Something oh, yeah, like the, that. Yeah, the commitment, yeah, the commitment the whole, that you're making. Right. It's a life commitment. And yeah, this is stuff you do not want to hear at that moment. It's, it's so hardcore. The priest yeah. is so hardcore and it makes it worse. And she faints and the wedding is then interrupted. And as we find out shortly thereafter, it was basically called off or temporarily halted. So the wedding did not go through. Technically, it's a scene, but I just am calling it one of my favorite moments is her walking down the aisle with that look on her face. I had that down also. I, what I liked about it too, because the movie just starts right in the middle of the wedding and we don't know who anybody is at this point. Right. And you're just trying to figure everything out, but you know right away when you see <laughs> Taylor's face, oh boy, this is a girl that does not want to be not at good. this place right now. She'd rather be anywhere else in the world. She's just looking around like, oh, oh. Yeah, because then they even do like a POV shot of her and there's like people waving to her. And it cuts back to her and she has, I'm like, I don't even know who's waving at me. She has, I don't think she has any clue where she's at. And it's great with her just falling backwards, passing out. Yeah. Her eyes roll back into her head and you're like, oh, that's it. It was a good way to start a movie. Yeah. That's, that's always a good device in any of these movies. You know, the wedding scene when, especially if the movie starts with like a wedding, you know, that hijinks are going to ensue. If you know, the film is a comedy, at least something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Other than that, what's your first uh, favorite scene and or moment? A uh, moment for me. Um, so we're at the Pegleg Pub or is it Pegleg Bar? Pegleg Pub, right? Pegleg Pub. And we're introduced to Charlie, who we've seen him earlier in the movie. He kind of uh, drove by the Mystic Pizza in his Porsche and Daisy got an eye of him. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to meet that guy at some point. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, they're all at the, the pub and they're having drinks. And Charlie walks in and he's with his... Uh, Upper upper class friends, so I'll, I'll just put it that way. Maybe a date. I'm not sure the girl that he's with was his date or a classmate or whatever right. she was. And um, he decides to make things a little interesting. And he goes up to the dartboard and guys throwing darts. And he's like, hey, I'll bet you 50 bucks I can hit three bullseyes in a row. Initially, it starts at like $10 or $20. And the guy's like, right, it's up at the 50 and do a tequila shot between each throw. So like, oh, okay. And he hits the first two. Goes to do the third one and, and misses. And that kind of just sets up the scene of, of Charlie. But there's a, a funny moment where Bill is with his buddy and they're at the bar and they're kind of talking about what's going on. And Bill asks his buddy, Could you do that? And his buddy's like, 
No, but I can drink the three tequila shots. And that just made me <laughs> laugh out loud. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That was just kind of a laugh out loud. Did not expect that coming on. I don't even know who the other guy was that Bill was with, but it made me laugh out loud. And that was kind of a funny moment. Right. I th- yeah. No, I, obviously, it's just like one of Bill's buddies. I think he may show up later on Bill's yeah, he like, might be, trawler yeah, on, on boat, the yeah. boat. I like that because Bill is so com- like he's just laying back, like watching it all happen. And there's no commentary on the fact like because usually it's when uh, you've got these preppies or upper crust type people walk into a bar like that the whole like it's a needle scratch you know or record scratch. you hear that and everybody stares at like what are these people doing here in our bar but that doesn't really happen they're just like instead bill vincent d'onofrio is leaning back on the bar with his buddy and he looks at over at charlie's like that's a great coat i could i could wear that (laughs) right yeah wish I had a coat like that. Instead, they're like, they look nice. I could use a coat like that. Yeah, I think because it's a summer town, they're kind of used to seeing people like this come and go. So yeah, I don't point. think it's a big deal to them. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of relaxed. I, I liked it. But yeah, the fact that Charlie has the little bet there with the bar patron to drink the shots, try to hit three bullseyes in a row. But before that third toss, of course, he looks over and sees the uh, very sexy Julia Roberts and that throws him off a little bit. Yep. Misses that last shot. Good stuff, man. Speaking of Charlie and Daisy, Charlie takes Daisy to a mansion and or the house that his father owns for a little candlelit evening alone, a little date night at his dad's house where his dad is not home. And maybe you could, I was going to save this for later. I got confused as to, is this his father's summer home near Mystic or in Mystic? It's not. It's summer home. Right. Okay. Because everything's covered in sheets and the power has been turned off to the home. And Charlie says, yeah, see, that's how my dad is. He won't even, he's either cheap or something like that. He, I mean, obviously his father is extremely rich, has a lot of money, but is tight with his money. And he turns off the power to his summer home when he's not there. And that's why Charlie's lighting candles and making it even more romantic, lighting the fire for Julia Roberts. What were you going to say? We're cheating a little bit with this movie. Because we you know, summer at the cinema series. And this movie begins at the very tail end of the summer. It's the tourists are starting to leave and we're going into the fall. Well, thank you, because you just answered another one of my questions that okay. I was going to ask later. Because it doesn't feel like summer at all, ever, throughout this movie to me. It just feels like autumn. But now you cleared that up. I didn't I didn't pick up on that, that it was the end. Yeah, it almost feels like it's like post like Labor Day, post Labor Day just happened kind of feel because i kind of talk about how because the first time they're in the pizza parlor it still seems like they have the tourists there and then after that you notice it's kind of empty at that oh that's a good point yeah so it's probably like the last yeah yeah, last vacation weekend there in uh, mystic right that makes sense that totally makes sense you're so observant bill so regardless charlie takes daisy to this very very nice home that his father owns lights the candles lights the fire in the fireplace And my point is Daisy gets a little flirty when Charlie's not looking. She starts disrobing, basically taking off her clothes and leaving basically a a trail of breadcrumbs up to the bedroom upstairs. Charlie follows her. And then we see Julia Roberts standing there, nothing but a button down shirt. And that's all I'm going to say, Bill Ben. That's one of my favorite moments. Okay. It's just one of those things. And I am certainly not alone in saying this, but seeing a beautiful woman in nothing but a button down shirt 
is extremely sexy and she is stunning. I love it. I love it. I was just like, wowza. The occasional sweatshirt works every once in a while too. Oh, oh, there's, oh, there's the, yeah, a few other looks. But yeah, the button down. Yeah, I'd agree with that one. Can't go wrong. Definitely one of my favorite couples. Yeah, because it is funny because Charlie, is that my dad shirt? And she says, I'm like, oh, I, I don't think he's going to mind, is he? Well, I certainly don't mind. Well, that sounded creepy. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I'm going to jump into my favorite scene of the movie. This uh, scene got me a little bit. Uh, so to set it up, of course, it's between JoJo and Bill. A little bit earlier, Bill played a little prank on JoJo where he renamed his boat the Nympho. And JoJo got mad, so she ended up stealing Bill's truck. And her and the girls went out on a little night of the town. And it's the next morning. And JoJo runs out to Bill on his boat before he leaves. And she apologizes for taking the car. And he's okay with it. And he's like, oh, no, I, I get it. I, I understand. I, you know, I took down the name of the, the rename of the boat. And the boat is named JoJo, which was her wedding gift to him that she renamed the boat or had it done. And uh, JoJo's all excited to say, hey, my sister's out of town. We have the apartment for the next three days so we can be alone and not worry about being interrupted. And Bill gets upset about this. Bill does not like the fact that all JoJo wants to do is have sex, but won't make a commitment. And he has this great line where he says, I'm telling you I love you and all you love is my dick. Do you know how that makes me feel? And he essentially breaks up with her at that point. It's kind of sad because then the boat takes off. JoJo's watching the boat leave and Bill's just back at work getting ready to prep, you know, whatever they're going to do that day out in shore and never looks at her. So then it goes to the next scene where we get to Mystic Pizza and JoJo comes into work. Everyone's looking at her like, "Um, what are you doing here? She's like, what are you talking about? And I thought it was going to be something like the fact that she never comes to work on time, but the fact that she actually shows up to work three hours early yeah. is okay. There's definitely an issue there and everybody senses it. And they want to know what it is. She tells the story where she says she broke up with bill. And I was like, okay, you know, I get that you got out of this. And she just tells us, I mean, it was really getting to me how she was kind of oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm okay about this. I, I know I made the right decision. And she says this great line where she goes, if you really love me, he would wait. But if I love him, I would marry him. Oh, yeah. God, it's such a catch 22 for you, because what you're saying is totally true. And she's trying to justify to her friends that breaking up is the right thing. And she's still got a lot going for her and that she's going to take over a mystic pizza. And she's trying to keep it all together. But, you know, she's going to break down in any second. And man, I was really feeling for her at that moment. That was one of those, like, I'm watching this with my wife and I have a turn because I was like, all right, I'm getting a little emotional here and I don't need to start getting laughed at by my wife. Right. To me, that's the best scene of the movie. I thought she kicked ass. And then I, I even watched it again this afternoon just to make sure I had that line right. And I was like, damn, she's doing it to me again. Yeah. Bill Bant, I, I agree a thousand percent. This is the best scene. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. You nailed it. You are right. I'm going to mention another scene featuring Julia Roberts that takes place before this one, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say the same thing about both scenes. First of all, here with Lily Taylor, you know, for us actors and for, for the layman out there that doesn't really know much about some of the, the inside baseball regarding, you know, what actors have to do to either get an agent or manager and or auditions, but there's something called a demo reel 
and it demonstrates your ability to act and to have range as an actor and show variety of in roles that you've portrayed. And you've just edited together a two to three minute demo reel. And today it's obviously it's all digital video and stuff like that. Something you can show to people to just display your talent and hopefully that would lead to a job or representation, like I said, from a talent agent or manager. But uh, if I were Lily Taylor, like this would be the scene I'd put on my demo reel. That's all I'm thinking about. She's fantastic. And you said it, she is dying on the inside during the scene because the love of her life has just broken up with her. She knows he's right, but she thinks On one level, she has a right to not want to get married. Like you said, she isn't ready. She has to have some boundaries. She has to stand up for herself the entire time. She's smiling during this entire, she goes on this tirade and this rant as she's setting up the tables and she, her voice becomes strained. She gets a bit shaky. She lies about the fact that, you know, she says, like you said, she broke up with him, but by the way, some great acting from the other ladies in the scene, too, because you have Daisy and Kat watching her, knowing exactly what's happened. A little bit of girl's intuition here, which is really smart. It's well-directed that way. They just kind of sit back and they just let Lily Taylor cook in the scene. But within the characters, they just know she's something's really wrong and they don't try to say anything. And then you have, is it Leona? Is that yeah, Leona. Yeah. He's there too. And you see their hearts are breaking for her. Oh, yeah. They're just, you see it on their faces. And Lily Taylor doesn't let them get a word in edgewise, but they don't say anything. They just let her get it out. And not only is she lying about how she's feeling and stuff, but she's trying to say then she chimes in as if she starts acting as if they are chiming in with their opinions, as if they are talking to her and she keeps, she's answering them. Like she's having this whole like inner dialogue, but it's outer dialogue. And she's like, yeah, I know you're right. You're right. I should do this, but I'm not going to do that kind of thing. And they haven't said anything. It's really funny. And it's heartbreaking at the same time. But the fact that she's smiling the whole time, it's just like, Oh, this is awful. Like you said, it's hard to watch almost. And I'd like that you pointed out the reactions too, because I think that adds to it too, because you can see all of them feeling so crushed, especially Leona, because she really thinks of the three ladies as her girls, but right. she's not married and she doesn't have kids of her own. And so to see this happening to Jojo is, yeah, there's really one scene where you could see like her eyes are literally welling. Yeah. And I think that kind of got me too. I was like, oh yeah. If I was there too, I'd feel the same way right now. Yeah, she's just really going through it. But she's got that smile and the shaky thing kind of like saying, no, it's everything's okay. Like everything's great. No, I know. I get it. No, I, I know I probably made a mistake, but I don't think I made a mistake. I could, you know, I really love him and I know he loves me and everything's fine. I know you guys are probably right. And But she just keeps going and it's like, oh my God, she's just right. drowning. And she's then she's drowning. trying to course correct her life. Like, all right, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to run the Mystic Pizza. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, all this other stuff that she thinks she has all the answers and she really has unfortunately none yeah so i agree with you i had written that down as well that's a definitely a favorite scene Mm -hmm. i was speaking of also another scene with julia roberts that happens before this in the film when they have gone to the country club the locally country uh country club what they'd like to do they're having they've had a few drinks in them and they're feeling pretty good and they're going to check out how the other half lives they're doing a little dance, uh, 
and Daisy, I think, is dancing. I think is it Jitterbug? Yeah, yeah, with, with JoJo, JoJo, and they're smoking cigarettes and being goofy. So then, is it Cat that looks inside the country club and Correct. sees that Charlie is there inside entertaining a young lady? And Charlie's not supposed to be there. Charlie was supposed to be out of town, uh, I believe, with his grandmother. Correct. So what ends up happening is that Daisy then catches on and sees Charlie there. And Daisy's been dating Charlie and knows that now Charlie has lied and it appears as though he's two-timing her. So she decides, well, I'm going to exact my revenge immediately and freaks out. And because they've been driving, they have Bill's truck who has all this fish and lobster in the back. He has these two huge barrels of fish and it's pretty nasty, but she backs the truck up to Charlie's fancy Porsche and dumps the barrels of fish all over the Porsche. And all you can think of is immediately, well, of course the car's ruined because it's just, this, you'll never get the smell out. Never, nope. not in a million years. And Charlie comes running out like, what the hell are you doing? And this is why I, I'd like the scene is for Julia Roberts. This is her sh- showing what she's got in the moment. She goes from happy, giddy, goofy, where I think she's actually can be very sexy and funny. We know Julia Roberts has the magic smile that can light up a room and light up more than what, like an entire mansion. If she, I mean, she's got that kind of smile. She's got the memorable laugh. And then to go from that the expression on her face when she sees that Charlie is with another woman inside this fancy country club and then goes from that to complete rage, Charlie comes out and she's losing her shit and she's crying and saying, you're supposed to be at your grandmother's. And then, of course, Charlie says, I'm not with another woman. The thing with the grandmother got canceled. This is my sister. Is it his sister? Sister, yeah. And she immediately is embarrassed. And she's still in tears and then has to calm down and realizes that, well, and she says this, I fucked up. We have a great line. (laughs) It's a great line. And he's looking at his car with all this fish all over it. And she says, yeah, I fucked up. And he goes, yeah, but you gave it a hundred percent (laughs) effort, which is a great line. It was pretty cool. He's a cool customer in that moment. He took that well. He's a, yeah, he's a smooth, smooth customer. Uh, so, and then she's like, you're weird. And he's like, I'm weird. But it's a nice acting moment for Julia Roberts within like a 20, 30 second span, less than a minute. She has this whole range of emotions. And Julia Roberts, as we know, can do the crying very well, you know, just bursting into tears and that just kind of blubbering emotional outburst. And then she goes right back to this nice comedic moment of I I fucked up, you know? Yep. There she is. She's a star. She's shining. And that again, going back to the demo reel thing, I'm like, yeah, that goes on your demo reel. If you're a young actor, like she was at that time, that scene has to be featured on your demo reel because it just shows your, your true colors and range as an actress. Yeah. Good call. I was kind of on the borderline if I was going to put that in there or not. And I didn't. So I'm glad you did bring it up and uh, break that down for us. So I, I do kind of laugh because Kat does see Charlie in there and if she just let it go, that might not have happened. Mm-hmm. So she, in a way she almost made it happen. Cause she was like, all right, let's, why don't we just leave? Why don't we just go find something else? And right. He comes right. over like, why, why do you want to leave? And then, Oh, hell breaks loose. Yeah, it is a good scene. It's got some good moments in it. And just even the reaction of her sister, like, this is the girl you're dating? Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) 
But, you know, she still likes her when she's seen her at her worst. Then uh, that's good. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, did you have some more favorite moments or another favorite scene? Yeah, a favorite moment, which comes off the the tough cat scene. So basically what we're finding out uh, during the course of the movie is Kat's going to Yale. And she's only on a partial scholarship. So she's working at the pizza parlor. She's working at the planetarium. Now she's picked up this babysitting job. So she can get all this money to pay for school in the winter. So this third job she's picked up is this babysitting job for this uh, husband and girl because the wife is out out of the country, literally out of the country in England on a project. We don't know what it is. But during the whole course of the movie, Kat and Tim are kind of having a relationship. But at first it seems like it's Kat just has kind of had a crush on him. And then Tim sees that Mm -hmm. Kat has a crush. And then he unfortunately acts upon it. And of course, when that happens, all of a sudden uh, the wife is home and Kat is devastated and had this horrible scene where she's crying her eyes out on the bed and and Daisy comes to consult her. Then it goes to the next scene. It's like, all right, how is Kat dealing with this afterwards? And there's this just funny moment. Like you could just see her whole head's in a fox. She has no idea what's going on. She's working at, at Mystic Pizza and she's just doing everything wrong. And there's this one shot where she's supposed to bring out a pizza to the table. And Leona's working on the pizzas and she's got the pizza that's supposed to be the order. And then she's working on another pizza supposed to put in the oven. And Kat just picks up the raw pizza. Right. And just brings it out and doesn't even like, and everyone's just looking at her like, Kat, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she's just walking by the raw pizza and just puts it on the table and then walks off. And I just, I just found that pretty funny. Just bringing out raw food to some, I don't know, but I mean, it was kind of weird because it, it does such a 180 from the scene before that it kind of, it's kind of jarring, but I thought it was a good laugh because it's like, how do you really deal with this? For the rest of the movie. So I think the writers just decided, all right, let's just try to go for a laugh and then slowly try to bring it back and help her get through this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it made sense, actually, that like you said, she's so distracted and that's how she's dealing with the pain of what occurred with this adult man that she had fallen in love with and knows that can never happen and got her heart smashed into pieces and it's like she's just in shock she's just walking around in a state of shock she has no awareness of her surroundings at all no which is great i i love that thought i, th- I think that was actually a pretty smart way of doing it like she just was totally oblivious to her surroundings in that moment to put that rock like to pick up the the pizza that it is, it is funny the choreography because <laughs> conchetta Farrell who plays the Oda, prepping that pizza and then she turns around and it's gone and she's yeah. like what what Wait, yeah, she's got, she's got like the handful of spinach and she's about to drop on the pizza. Right. It's like, what? She's wonderful, Leona. Yeah, I wish she I wish she had more to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I'm glad you brought that up, Bill Bant, or just this brief scene and or moment with Kat, because I want to harp on the, I shouldn't say harp on, I should just to dwell a little bit on the scene previous to when she gets her heart broken, because it is awful. And it is one of my favorite scenes because this is, again, what I I would say Annabeth Gish is a young actress. I'm sure she put this on her acting reel is what happens and how she reacts to the fact that this man whom she's been babysitting for 
they've they've consummated their relationship. They've slept together. She's just this young girl who's brand new to love. She's fallen for him. He's definitely got a crush on her. But the wife comes home unexpectedly. The scene happens unexpectedly. It's very sudden. It's this entire sequence is romantic when they finally give in to their passions for one another. They end up making love and it's raining outside. They go back to Tim's house, walk in to see his wife there. And Jojo has been standing in his babysitter that night while Kat and Tim have been going off and having their intimate affair. They come home. The wife has come home early from her trip. Jojo is really like is scrambling. She's like, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, look, because here in comes Tim and Kat, and they're soaking wet and clearly together. It couldn't be more obvious. And obviously, oh, yeah. I think the wife knows. I could, I should, probably should have saved this for our questions later on, but. It's so obvious. JoJo's just way nervous. Cat's in complete shock. She can't get a word out. Tim acts as if nothing's happened and just basically is saying good night, goodbye. And he should just have guilty written across oh, his yeah, forehead. Yeah, completely. And the wife somehow keeps it together and says, "Oh, nice to meet you." And then Cat and JoJo have to leave and that's it. Cat's like, "That's it." He's just going to ditch me now. His wife's home. We just made love. I'm in love with him. What do I do? I'm just trying to put words. Right. Rationalize what she's thinking. And it's really awful. So when she goes home, then she goes into her room and Daisy knows something's very wrong. And Daisy comes to sit down next to her on her bed and she just loses it. She breaks down and she says, I just feel so stupid. Why does it hurt so much? I can't even try to imitate how Annabeth Gish does it, but she is losing it, like sobbing and the tears are flowing. And she says it, it's gut-wrenching when she says those lines and you feel it. Yeah, it makes you me really mad. Feel Just like when you felt it for Julia Roberts being so mad at Charlie because she thinks he's cheating on her. And then Jojo, when she doesn't know how to deal with the fact that Bill, the love of her life, has just broken up with her and she may just lose like this one true love to then Kat's reaction to having her first real heartbreak as a young lady. And you feel awful for her. You're like, damn, she's good though. She's good actress. (laughs) It's just like really, really hurts. And you know, the thing is it's relatable because we've at this point, we've all had our heart broken and it doesn't feel good. I can recall my first heartbreak. I don't know about you, Bill, but it sucked. It feels like the world is ending. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. I'll never get over this. I mm-hmm. don't know how I'll ever get over this, but you do. So that was my favorite moment from Kat is uh, just when she's on the bed and she loses it because it's when she says, why does it hurt so much? It's such a simple, straightforward line, but it's the way she delivers it. I think that is uh, really tugs at the heartstrings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, got so angry. At I was like, you Son of a bitch. Yeah, and then we get it. She made she was she made a dumb mistake. It was an right. error in judgment. And then and he, he should have certainly known yeah. better. But that's what happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. It happens more often than not. Probably, you know. Mm-hmm. Anything else for favorite scenes or moments? I just think it's a nice moment when Hector Frechette, the fireside gourmet, gives Mystic Pizza the rave review because he's a bit of a curmudgeon. He's the 
local uh, yeah, fireside gourmet critic, who gives yeah. all food critic. Thank you. That gives all these restaurants reviews and some of these restaurants, it's kind of make or break for these restaurants. And uh, he surprisingly comes into the mystic pizza parlor and doesn't even finish a slice of pie, a slice of pizza and uh, leaves. And so they're worried that he may give them a bad review, but ends up on the TV, giving them a rave review and they all go crazy. I just love the moment. Because they're all just thrilled. It's really kind of like a happy ending type of, it's not the ending in the film, but it's fun to see them get all excited. You know what's coming. They're just thrilled. You're thrilled for them at that point in the film. I like that moment when that happens. Yeah. I I was just, it's a happy moment. I thought it was nice. It was very nice. All right. Uh, Anything else? Nope. That's it for me. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so let's move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it does not fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. I guess I should have changed the cheese for this one. Like more of a pizza cheese. Oh, well. I was just thinking about it while I was, I was like, uh, while well, oh, I was I saying, I was like, this. yeah. Oh, cheese. Yes. Ah. We blew that one. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, audience. All right. So, what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaints? We already did my first complaint. So, I'm good there. Yeah. I just have complaints. And I'm going to start with the scene at the Peg Leg Pub near the beginning of the film when Charlie enters. And after losing his bet, in the midst of throwing darts at bullseyes and taking tequila shots. He of course has now made eye contact with Daisy and their attraction is immediate and they end up playing a game of pool and they are on the same team playing against a couple of Charlie's friends that he had come to the bar with. And we see very quickly that the sexy Daisy is quite the pool shark and she basically clears the table but in the midst of this game, Bill, my question here is, in my complaints, Daisy hits a sloppy shot. She's solids, and she hits one of the shots off of a stripe into the thing, which should have been, somebody should have called that sloppy. I mean, it was not a clean shot. Oh, I missed that. So, well, wait, did she call it? Because, you know, when you're just playing, I, I don't know the professional rules here, but when you're playing a leisurely recreational game of pool, the local pool hall or bar or whatever, if you think you're going to hit a shot off another you, the opposing team, like ball, like if you're solids, then the other team is stripes. And the only way you're going to make your shot is by hitting one of your solids off of one of their stripes. You call it first. You got to call your shot. I thought about it when she uh, sunk the eight ball. So I was just like, well, at least you got to call that one. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah, so you, you have to call, call any of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah they didn't call any of them. 
Otherwise it's sloppy and you can get called out for that, you know? So she did hit one of her shots off of a strike. Either you call yourself out or the other team calls you out and says, nope, you hit it off one of my balls. I, it's our turn. Yeah, I so, think the team they're playing, they had no clue what the was going on. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, I was just like, man, Charlie and his gang, they just got there. And after the pool game, they just decided to leave. Poor girls didn't finish their white wine and their tall glasses. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, they've been there for all of 10 minutes, if that. And they're just like, can we just leave now? And if I were Charlie, I'd be like, come on, I'm just, I'm literally... I'm just getting my game going here. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. That was my complaint about the peg leg pub scene. Yeah. I'll definitely give the fact they walk in and then basically leave five minutes later. It's not like they were causing problems or people were causing problems with them. It wasn't uncomfortable for them. Unless their plan that night was like, we're going to go bar hopping in Mystic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got two more bars left, I guess. Yeah. We got to hit the next, that many. the next pub before 10 o'clock. What's your next complaint? I'm going to try to do these in order. So my first one is, um, so at the very beginning, we see that Kat goes to deliver a pizza to her mom. And um, I guess it's the fourth time this week she's had to take a pizza to her mom. Right. And her mom makes like this big deal that Kat's there and announces to everyone that I understand as an audience, we need to know this information to further along <laughs> the movie. Mm-hmm. Little exposition dump. Correct. But the fact that the mom announces like it's the first time that everyone knows that Kat's going to Yale. I'm like, come on. You've been telling everybody about this ever since she got that letter. I found it kind of weird. Like she's sharing stuff about Kat. Like no one knows who she is. I'm like, well, that's the fourth time Kat's been there this week already. And you're saying you've never mentioned the fact that Kat's going to Yale or everyone's like, oh, Kat, you got a boyfriend. So it it was, it just, it felt awkward to me. It's a little forced. Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. I I agree. It's a little bit of an awkward scene. I think that's a good call. That's a good complaint. And I also could have done a different way. Yeah. Like everyone knew already that she's going to Yale. Play it more that way. Just have the different one of the other ladies chime in with a different comment, Mm -hmm. talking about all the jobs she has, or you got to start working so hard or whatever it might be. I agree. There there would have been a more natural way of i like the way the scene the scene was laid out that here they are on the dock and you know the fishermen are coming in they're you know they're cleaning whatever and i was like oh that was that was cool right just the the dollar yep workers yeah but the way it came out i was like uh no that's not working for me yeah good call and uh, i i have a question because her mom says uh my girl's got four jobs what's the fourth job because she works at the planetarium Correct. She just took on the babysitting job and she works at the Mystic Pizza Parlor. So I was always just like, well, what's the fourth job? Yeah, that's true. We don't know what that is. <sighs> Being adorable, I guess. Maybe. Uh, here's kind of a complaint I had. This goes with my overall complaint, which I might change my mind about, but for sake of argument here, I, the development of characters and relationships. I felt like even though Conchata Farrell, is it Farrell or Farrell? Do we know for sure the pronunciation of Maybe it's Farrell? She plays Leona. She owns Mystic Pizza Parlor. She runs the shop. She's a wonderful, wonderful actress. You'd know her immediately if you saw her. We've come to love her as the housekeeper Berta on Two and a Half Men from 2003 to 2015. Just check out her IMDb. She did so many things, her career spanning from the mid-70s uh, all the way 
to 2020 when um, we lost her. She passed away at age 77. Conchata Farrell, she's wonderful as Leona. And I felt like she was almost a more of a mom to the girls than their mom in a way in like this. Yes, movie. I, I see what you're saying, but I wish she was more mom to the girls. Yeah. Like I said, under, she was a little bit under user. I wish, yeah, you said you wished she had more to do. And I agree with you, but it also made me think, did we need a few more scenes within the Arujo family dynamic? Because we have Daisy and Kat, the sisters, and we know that their mom who works at the docks and she's a single mother working just to pay the bills and, you know, pay for the house. We know that Kat has a part scholarship to Yale and has these jobs that she's trying to uh, hold down to make enough money to, you know, I guess, cover the rest of the tuition to go to Yale and her mom's trying to work. And that's a lot going on. And on top of it, they're a Portuguese family. There's the Portuguese culture that I, I was not familiar with this. I'm more interested in some of these aspects of these characters and their backgrounds and their relationships, because is that, a, I wasn't aware, is that a thing in Mystic? Is there a Portuguese population there? That that was one of my questions. Like, when did you even find out they were Portuguese? And when did you realize that's supposed to be important to the plot? Well, that was like a right. stunner to me. I was like, what? They're Portuguese? I didn't know that. So when it really rang true is that late in the film, it's like with 10 minutes left in the film, we have a nice scene between Daisy and her mom. Her mom's concerned about her dating this kid. And is she making the right decisions? And then Daisy's coming back at her, like uh, establishing who she is. And I'm like, oh, we maybe needed a little more of this earlier in the film to really establish because Daisy doesn't have a lot of direction. She's riding on the fact that she's got a, a pretty face and a lot of charisma. And she's going to make her way in life using her charm and her looks. But I think her mom's concerned about that. That's going to only get you so far versus her younger sister, Kat, who's got the scholarship and she's going to go on to be an astronomer. She has a path and a plan. And I would have liked to see how this all affects the fact that her mom had to bust her ass. What happened to their dad? Was that ever mentioned? Nope. So there's some stuff missing for me in this family dynamic that I thought could have been explored. Now, granted, this movie isn't about that. It's about the, the individual girls and their own relationships in their lives and their friendship with one another. It's not necessarily about the Arujo family, but there's some stuff in there that I think was the making of, you know, we could have gotten into it. Like, again, what's the culture of the Portuguese? How do they handle the family dynamic and What's that like and relationships and what is their take on different things? And I would like to know more. That's all. And then, you know, we get that class separation issue. Like we'd seen it. And speaking of Matt Damon, we've seen it in Goodwill Hunting. We talked about it in Pretty in Pink. When we cover that on this podcast, they could have gone into that a little bit more, I think, with the Charlie and Daisy uh, relationship. There were some development issues I had. It just felt like a lot of it had been either a little bit too much on the surface or skirted over past. So I'm going to go right into then also like, again, we have Kat who's falling in love with the gentleman whom she is babysitting for. His name is Tim. His wife's out of town. We understand, we see their slight flirtation and then it kind of builds and it's kind of a lot of it's unspoken, but there's a kind of a cool moment. You can help me with this bill band is when she's been babysitting Tim is busy wrapping up some stuff for the, the evening. He's at home. He's an architect. 
he's rolling up some blueprints or something like that. She's in the bedroom brushing the daughter's hair, the girl she's babysitting. And the girl lets a few things slip. And she says something to the effect of, mommy lives in England now, and we're not getting a divorce. She just says, it kind of blurts right, it yeah. out. And this is while Kat's brushing her hair and Kat's like, no, you don't have, don't say that. They're, they're not getting a divorce. And then comes Tim comes in and he says, I don't know where she comes up with these things or where does she get that from? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, is that supposed to be like, does that make Kat believe that there's some sort of rift or divide between Tim and his wife? Like maybe they are talking about getting a divorce and does that make Kat think that the door is open a little bit for her to pursue a relationship with him. I don't know if that was kind of what they were thinking in the writing there. I'm going to call myself dumb on that one because I didn't put that together. I think she just figured because her mom was away. That's what I thought on the first watch as well. Yeah. And then when I was going over it and taking a few more notes, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be something subtle that Kat hears and then kind of Maybe that she starts spinning a yarn in her mind going, oh, maybe there's trouble in paradise between Tim and his wife, which leaves the door open for me for a possible. I don't know, but I thought that could have been interesting for their relationship. What if he was covering for the fact like like Tim kept saying, yeah, my wife's going to be home in a couple of weeks. But in actuality, they were really having relationship problems and she was maybe not coming home, that it was a trial separation or something like that. And that really does leave the door open for Kat thinking maybe she really does have a chance with Tim. And then, of course, who shows up all of a sudden, but his wife who wants to really fix and work on the relationship. And then Kat's left hanging out to dry. I was like, that would have been a little bit more maybe a little more meat on the bone regarding yeah. that situation. I, I think don't what, what made it more confusing for me is then there's the scene where Tim comes home and they're on the pier and Kat asked him about his wife. I was like, Ooh, that's not a good question to ask, especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to go through this flirtation, because now it's going to make you think about your wife and then th- make you think about, Ooh, I can see this girl has a thing for me. That would definitely put the brakes on it. If I was in Tim's shoes. Because now you're bringing my wife into it. I'm thinking of doing something behind my wife's back. And then you brought my wife up. You know what? This is done. So that kind of threw me off. That scene kind of threw me off. Even though he kind of makes it sound like things aren't all that great. Now that I think about it, at first I was just like, oh, yeah, you're young. And, you know, we met when we were freshmen. And right. You think you have your whole life ahead of you. And then all these things, you know, all these problems occur. I mean, I still didn't think their marriage was on the rocks. No. But that definitely would have made me put it down. It's no, not happening. My wife's going to be home any day now. You expect her to be back within a week. Right. That's what makes me even hate him more. He really screwed up. Yeah. He used very poor judgment. And those are all good thoughts. Thanks for for bringing those up. And so, again, I could have used a little more development in the family dynamic with the Arujos, that being Kat, Daisy, and their mother. And then with each of the relationships, I thought there was a one or two more levels they could have added on to each of those relationships to deepen them a bit. Now, that being said, and I'm going to play devil's advocate to my own, myself and say the thing about this coming of age, and it, like we talk about, like I reflect upon the times when I was that age and I dealt with either heartache or 
the pressures of what my path was going to be, what was I going to do with the rest of my life? A lot of this is emotional and it doesn't need to be overwritten. And maybe there didn't need to be levels to these relationships. Maybe we didn't need to see or have all these things presented to us through the writing. It really is just about these young girls and what they're feeling at this time in their life. And I think these actresses are wonderful in the movie. And we've already said it in our favorite scenes and moments. We felt it when they were feeling whatever they were feeling. So is it maybe it's mission accomplished? I don't know. You know what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah, like, I, but, I go ahead. But I do want to pick you back on something else that you were saying, because this is one of my questions. The one, of course, about the Portuguese, I had no idea either. And then the second one was in the beginning of the film, Daisy keeps talking about how she's the failure of the two sisters. Mm-hmm. Outside of the fact that you're saying it, I would have no idea. Thank you. Pretty much summed it up right there. It's just kind of on the surface. It's like, okay, we get it. You're supposed to be the black sheep, sort of. Right. And then that scene doesn't happen all the way till the end with her mom. Like if that scene had happened earlier with her mom and her at the car, I mean, granted, you know, she's dating Charlie, it's farther than the movie. But that you see that there's a friction between Daisy and her mom. Right. Those statements would have made more sense. But it's like Daisy has to keep pointing it out. But I don't see what you're talking about, Daisy. That, that's not making any no. sense to me. What does Daisy do that's all that bad? Nothing. So she's drinking and smoking a little bit, just like everybody else in the movie. And mm-hmm. she doesn't do anything illegal. It's not right. like she goes out and robs a liquor store or something. She's just a young girl who has a little bit of sass. Right. Okay. That's what I'm saying. It's it's all on the surface. You're telling us these things. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing a lot. Mm-hmm. Anything else for complaints? Here's a question for you. Yes. No, I'll save it for questions. Okay. Here's the other. Just the thing that doesn't hold up. I don't think anymore is the term boffing. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> doesn't quite stick in beyond the 80s. Yeah, I haven't heard that one in a while. That was a term used though very much in, in 80s movies. Oh yeah. Boffing, cinema for sex. Uh, but I think that's all I got. All right. So I know it's, uh, you put it in one of your favorite scenes, but do we really think that Charlie was that dumb to take a date into Mystic? Don't you think he was going to, he would go somewhere else? I mean, granted, Daisy is drunk, so she's not thinking rationally. But if, I, if I'm going to go out with someone else, this this would just be my thinking. Not that I would do this. But if I was going to see someone else behind my girlfriend's back, I would not take her into the small town where the chances of us running into each other would be very high. I would take her somewhere else. Right. You mean the date that actually is his sister. Correct. So he's not really taking a date. Correct. But if he was taking a date, oh, I would not take her there. No way in hell. Take that would else. just be so dumb. And again, see, this is where I do like the the atmosphere of this film very much. It does very much feel like a small town uh, because I grew up in a small town. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, you just know you do. You do run into people all the time. Yes. You will cross paths with them. And if you don't, somebody's going to tell somebody and the word will get around. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So, no, you do not. You're right. No, you're right. You know, not a good idea. Even if it is his sister that he said, just, you don't know, put it on display in a small town. Yeah. Granted, I guess it's the country club that they go to, but still it's word gets around. Yep. It does. Spreads like wildfire. And then my last thing, this is my, my nitpicky complaint, uh, that chocolate ice cream they were serving at the end. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't put a cup of that in front of me. 
that ice cream looked nasty. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it looked like they, for when they were filming that, I guess they had to shut the freezer off for the sound. And it I don't all know, I don't Yeah. This is like, uh, no thanks. It looked like chocolate pudding or something. Yeah. It didn't look like yeah, ice cream. It was not. Is it gelato? I don't know. Maybe, Whatever. maybe it was. If it was, maybe I'll, I'll give it a pass then. But if that was supposed to be ice cream, I'm like, uh, no thanks. Get the uh, ice cream away. That's funny. I, I actually did think the same thing. That's a great call. That's a good observation. That's funny. Like, what uh, is that brown goop there serving? Yeah, it did not look a good chocolate color. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Oh, this is one of the easiest calls of all time. No, there's only one choice, Bill Bant. There is. Uh, there can be only one. And that one is Matt Damon, who played Streamer. Steamer. 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 Is it steamer? It is Steamer. Which is even funny. They're both funny. Yeah. You could go with either. I'm go- yeah. It's actually Steamer. Okay. I thought maybe I was wrong. No. Nope. Doesn't matter, but it's just funny. I've never met a steamer. <laughs> a person named Steamer. I wouldn't want that as my name or nickname. No, not at all. You know, just it doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't. But yeah, Matt Damon played Steamer, who's Charlie's brother. He's in it for all of 90 seconds. He has this great line of, hey mom. Do you want my green stuff? Oh, but he delivers it so well. He does. You, you could tell right there. I'm oh, like, yeah. This, this guy's probably win an Oscar for writing. Probably be a three-time acting nominee. Could be Jason Bourne. Yeah. You know, could be yeah. a star of an action franchise. Yeah. Could be maybe in a, a Ocean's Eleven series, possibly. Or do some great cameos in like Yoro Trip or Deadpool 2 or Thor Ragnarok. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This guy looks like he could do anything just from watching him in that little brief moment yeah yeah matt damon that was cool yeah i mean it, it is it is funny it's cool and i when we're gonna, about to do this movie i knew he was in it i knew he had the cameo but i'd forgotten who he was or where he was going to show up and then he does and then he's gone <laughs> it's like and i knew it was brief but i was like oh he actually does have a line and you can clearly see it's him it's not like uh one of those things where you're like Oh, I got to do the internet research. Was he really in the movie? Is that really him in the background? Right. Whether it's like a John C. Riley or whomever that pops up one of those, hey, it's that actor where they're just an extra. He's featured and it's him. And he is, he's just a kid. He's just a baby. You're like, oh. It, it made me laugh baby. thinking about it because after the success of Pretty Woman, of course, Julia Roberts became front and center. And then if you would find, the you know Mystic Pizza DVD. It would be a giant picture of Julia Roberts, and then poor Lily Taylor Namo Gish would be like in the back. Well, you have Matt Damon in this too. You might as well put might, Matt Damon, right. and Julia Roberts up front and center, and just have you know starring Julia Roberts and Matt Damon, and then in little titles Lily Taylor and Annabeth Gish. Totally. Oh man, you could see like like in a uh, foreign country or something. That's how they would promote the film. Oh now. yeah. That their faces would be on the poster just to sell it. Mm-hmm. But it's funny. And look, I am a huge Matt Damon fan. I have been ever since Goodwill Hunting. No, oh, yeah. I do remember him from School Ties yes. and some of the smaller things, but Goodwill Hunting was just like, oh man, it really inspired us all, especially as young filmmakers and writers and producers, et cetera. 
uh, where it's just like, oh man, if these guys could do it, meaning he and Ben Affleck, then uh, so can we. And they were they were great. Yeah, we previewed uh, school ties on campus. Oh yeah, I remember that? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how I saw that one. But yeah, I would say Good Will Hunting is still my favorite of his. But now I said he's a three time. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Trivia. Two you should Ooh. be able to get. The third one would be hard. So he's been nominated three times for Best Actor. Do you know what they are? For Best Actor. Correct. Is, did, was he nominated for Goodwill Hunting? Yes, that's one. He was nominated for Actor for that. Correct. Because they win for Screenplay. Correct. Him and Affleck. But uh, uh, was he nominated for The Martian? Correct. Now, the third one's the tough one. That he was nominated for Best Actor for. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I will go... Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's a sports movie. I don't even know if that's going to happen. Oh, shit. I was going to go Talented Mr. Ripley, but uh, Invictus? Yes. Really? Yeah. I would have got that wrong if you asked me that one. I, I, I saw I it in the theater. I that. I saw it too with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I and saw it I, in the theater. I almost fell asleep. I think I did fall asleep at one point. Yeah. It's okay. It was all right. It didn't do it for me, but I'm a big fan of his. That's one of the moments I went to a... Uh, the American Cinematheque was giving an award to uh, basically, you know, it's kind of like a lifetime achievement, but it was for Ridley Scott and uh, something that Pat Duty and Chris Valenziano had worked on. And they've done several of them and do a, do a hell of a job with some of the video packages, et cetera. Uh, I got to attend and it was a star studded gala. And this was basically just in like the cocktail area before the show. And I looked to one so to my left, there's Christopher Nolan. There's Bradley Cooper. I look to my right, and there's Matt Damon sitting at a table speaking with somebody. I'm like, oh, 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 <laughs> oh. I didn't speak to anybody. I just kept to myself. But seeing Matt Damon up close or within 50 feet of me, I was like, this is cool. I was a little starstruck in the moment. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Matt Damon. That's awesome. Look, I, I was like, that's awesome. That there's Christopher Nolan. And I have, I'm a huge fan of Bradley Cooper's as well. That was before a star is born, but seeing Matt Damon, I was like, dude, there he is, man. It's freaking Matt Damon. He's awesome. Love that guy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what else to say about Matt Damon. No, that's it. And, uh, yeah, as much as we tried about, hey, it's that actor. There really wasn't anyone else that came close to qualifying. So, yeah, we both had to go with Matt Damon on that one. There's no one else. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have about Mystic Pizza? Well, let's see here. Mystic Pizza is a real pizza parlor located at 55 West Main Street in Mystic, Connecticut. Uh, writer Amy Holden Jones was vacationing in Mystic one summer and saw the pizza parlor and was inspired to write the story. After the movie came out, the real Mystic Pizza shop became so popular, lines would stretch to the sidewalk and patrons would regularly steal mementos from the restaurant. The Mystic Pizza restaurant in Mystic was not where the movie was filmed, however. Only one scene of the movie was actually filmed in Mystic Village, which was the scene where the fishing boat was going through the drawbridge. There you go. Yeah, because the owners didn't want to shut the restaurant down for filming because they said they needed it for two months and they didn't think they could afford it. So that's why they didn't shoot it in the actual restaurant. But because of the movie, it became so popular. They, I think the the place has literally doubled in size. Right. Yeah. It's, it's still it's still going strong. It is a go to tourist spot. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Um, so yeah, just talking about Mystic. So plenty of locals from Mystic uh, also got involved in the filming as 700 extras participated in scenes and residents helped construct sets throughout the area and even taught actors how to string bait for lobster traps. Ah, so that's very nice. On David Letterman, Julia Roberts explained that after her audition, she was told she was good, but physically completely wrong for the part. She then colored her hair black, which is normally dark blonde, uh, for the follow-up audition and got the part. She also told the story of how whilst, whilst the waiting for her audition, all the female actresses up for the part were intensely studying the script. So she decided to listen to her Walkman and sing loudly to put them off and stand out to the casting director. And it worked. So, uh, yeah, speaking of Julia Roberts, so she was paid $50,000 for her role in Mystic Pizza. 12 years later, she would earn $20 million for her role in Aaron Brockovich. Dang. That's crazy, right? Oh, yeah. Like, we were talking about Major League, about, you know, Renee Rousseau having a big decade in the 90s. Right. I mean, she so pales in comparison to Julia Roberts. Yeah, I mean... (sighs) She was huge. She's a tr- she was a true superstar. I, I still regard her as very much a movie star. But at that period of the early 90s, and, you know, even to the late 90s, I mean, she was definitely a, a superstar. And if you look at her body of work, look, those they're all quality films. Your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy some of the films or her choices with some of the films, but... You cannot question her popularity or startup at all. Correct. Speaking of which, just look, watch Ocean's 12. It was a totally meta plot line. Yeah. Where if you're familiar, most people are familiar with the film, but they play on the fact that Julia Roberts's character looks like herself. Like she looks like Julia Roberts and they use that to try and further along their ploy within the movie. And now I find it, actually pretty funny but because bruce willis shows up and there's a whole thing and it's true and they make a lot right. of there's a lot of inside jokes and uh it's pretty funny and it's well done it's well acted but that's because how huge of a star she is i mean still to this day i yeah one of the biggest yeah biggest actresses of all time and she's got i mean if you would do a ranking of superstar film actresses or movie star film actresses I mean, she's got to be in the top 10 right of all time as far as stardom yeah yeah i mean that's that's for another podcast i suppose we should save that for a a mini-sode yeah maybe we should uh anything else for facts and trivia then uh a sequel called return to mystic pizza was in development in the early 90s with a script by jenny tripp and albert inuarato here's a little just fun facts about about mystic mystic is a village and census designated place in groton and stonington connecticut it's a village and census designated place. I believe technically it's not even a municipality. Oh, okay. Historically, Mystic was a significant Connecticut seaport with more than 600 ships built over 135 years, starting in 1784. Mystic's elevation is 10 feet. <laughs> Population of 4,776 people as of 2020. Okay, yeah, small town. Uh, last but not least, I thought this was kind of funny. The world premiere of the musical version of Mystic Pizza was produced by Ogunquit Playhouse in Ogunquit, Maine, from September 1st, 2021 through October 2nd, 2021. The production, which featured songs by Melissa Etheridge and other pop songs of the 1980s, starred Christina 
Alabado as Daisy, Gianna Ianelli as Jojo, and Kyra Kennedy as Cat. So they did a musical of Mystic Pizza featuring songs by Melissa Etheridge hmm. less than a year, a year ago. Not yeah. even. Wow. Okay. Um, so D'Onofrio nearly passed on the film until he did a read-through with the cast. It was so amazed by the actresses that he changed his mind. Good choice. So, so he knew. He knew. And then I was uh, talking about earlier about, um, so Lily Taylor was uh, 20. Uh, Vincent was 28. So, yeah, they were eight years apart in age in that one. So that's why I was trying to bump her age up a little bit. Gotcha. But he does yeah, he certainly doesn't look 28. No, he does look very young. Yeah. He's got some scruff and stuff, but that doesn't even make him look that old. He doesn't look 28. Yeah. I buy, I buy that he's in his early 20s. Yeah, I, I thought more Yeah, mid-20s. But anything else for facts and trivia? Uh, I'm good. All right, so let's move on to box office. So Mystic Pizza was released on October 21st, 1988 in 401 theaters. On an estimated budget of $6 million, it grossed $12.8 million domestically. It debuted number seven at the box office. And during its second week of release, its ticket sales went up 14%, even though it played in less theaters. It could, however, never get higher than number seven on the box office and stayed in the top 10 for another three weeks. So moving on to reviews. So when growing up in the 80s, we'd watch Siskel and Ebert and the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Mystic Pizza is unknown. The episode, which aired on October 22nd, 1988, is nowhere to be found online. I did, however, find a newspaper ad for the movie that said Siskel and Ebert gave the film two thumbs up. So we know they did like it. Uh, Roger did write uh, a review for the film. And in it, he wrote, I have a feeling that Mystic Pizza may someday become known for the movie stars it showcased before they became stars. So he was on point with that one. Um, The movie has a tomato meter score of 78% on Rotten Tomatoes and an IMDb score of 6.3. So that brings us to additional thoughts and questions. There's some additional thoughts and questions we have about Mystic Pizza. Well, Bill, it's time for our our listeners want to know segment. Bill Bant? Yes. Do you prefer thin crust or deep dish pizza? I would go, I've only had deep dish once, so I'm going to have to go with uh, thin crust. You know what, Bill? I'm I'm a Chicago guy. Right. It's it's a foregone conclusion. You think so? No. No. I'm a thin crust guy too. Wow. Yeah. I've had the deep dish. Don't get me wrong. It's delicious, but wow. It's filling. I guess uh, I'm just weak. I'm weak sauce, man. <laughs> I'm weak sauce regarding my, my Chicago heritage because it's too much, too much for me, the deep dish. Uh, I need, I need, I, I just don't get the flavors for some reason. It's just so much. It's just a lot of doughy, doughy goodness. Maybe I need to have more deep dish, I guess. I don't know. Thin crust. I'm a thin crust guy. Gotcha. So that concludes our listeners want to know segment. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, uh, speaking of pizza, though, what's the best pizza you ever had? Um, So my all-time favorite pizza is, uh, it's back in the Northeast, and they actually have a couple of locations in Florida. It's Anthony's Coal Fired Pizza. Oh, wow. And they have this uh, meatball. It's amazing. And it's even better when you reheat it in the oven and eat it the next day. Every time I'm either back home or I'm in Florida, that is on our to-do list that we're going to Anthony's coal-fired pizza and having pizza there. That sounds delicious. Yeah. They used to have one in Vegas 
But I don't know why. Close. I just I don't know. Cole, I'd like it. I don't know. It sounds yeah, sounds it's good. it's good because it's like on the you know the bottom of the pizza and your fingers get all like black and it just oh, it just tastes delicious. How about you, Jason? I, yeah, I'm going to give a, a shout out to a few different places uh, locally here. Casa Bianca is one that I like. I'd like a little oregano on my pizza. Another would be for for good thin crust. I like. I do like Mulberry Street. They've got a few of them around. It's a small chain. Okay. Uh, Mulberry Street pizzerias. Those are two. But hey, man, I, I'm not against the store bought. Sometimes give me a good good uh, DiGiorno. I like the DiGiorno. It's yeah, not I delivery. It's DiGiorno. Yeah, I'll, I'll do one of those every once in a while. My kids are hilarious because I always go, can we have fast food pizza? Yeah. They would rather have Papa John's. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? I'm not a Papa John's guy. I'm not really. My kids love it. Yeah, I, I've had a problem trying to find good California pizza, to be honest. I love when I go back home and get pizza. Yeah. What uh, Do you have some questions for me, Bill Ban? Yes. So my first question, how much do you think the check was that Cat ripped up from Tim? And I looked this up. So Yale tuition in 1988 was around $18,000. So he probably wrote a, a nice hefty check. What do you think? So this is, yeah, I mean... Because you see, was this, JoJo pick it much, up. Was this to cover just the first year, do we think? Or is this for... I think maybe just to cover the first year. Yeah. I'm thinking... I mean, we, we know he's got money. I'm saying this is probably a solid 20000 Okay. I wasn't even thinking that high. Or you... Okay. You were... Sorry. You said it was 18000 Were you saying today or... No, no. no what... what? Knowing in 1988 that the tuition for Yale was 18000 Right. Okay. No. And I didn't catch this the first time, to be honest, rewatching it, that Kat was on a partial scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I thought she was just working for like room and board and other expenses. I didn't realize oh, yeah, she no. had to make money for tuition, too. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's rough, especially for her mom, too, who knows that her daughter's trying to. Right. She's daughter's busting her butt trying to make this extra money to go to school. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I felt like he gave her. That check was a lot. Yeah. What, what what number were you thinking? I was thinking about five because if he knew that she had part scholarship, that he would he would just he was just going to cover the other half. Does he want his wife to know about this check? So it's got it can't be a that big of a amount. That's a great point. Yeah, it can't be. <laughs> right. But I mean, later on, Leona gives gives her a nice thick envelope to help cover. So I wonder if she knew how much. But I was thinking at least five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a little bit more reasonable and logical than 20 grand idiot guess so what does what does leona really put in the pizza do you think the unidentified spices i had that written down too i'm thinking it's pot that's exactly what i wrote you know it's weed yeah gotta be weed exactly that would make you come back for more yeah come on we all know she's stoned in the town that's awesome all right so here's my last question did you ever watch lifestyles of the rich and famous i did did you? With Robin Leach. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I never did. Yeah. I just kind of laughed when uh, we saw that in that one scene, though. I oh, did do for French class, we had to do a presentation in front of uh, the rest of the class. You know, we had to do it in French. And I did the like SNL Robin Leach spoof as Robin Leach in French. That's great. I love it. Oh, man. I'd like I to wish hear that. I'd like to hear it too because I don't remember, but uh, it got good marks. Good for you, Bill Bam. What do you put on your pizza, Bill Ben? Actually, I happen to know firsthand, speaking of uh, listeners want to know a little bit more about us, okay. or you, Bill Ben, 
I happen to know you're a whiz in the kitchen. Bill Bant is, in my humble opinion, a master chef. Oh, I, thanks, you know, I appreciate he, it. Bill Bant's a great cook. I've uh, had the privilege of having Thanksgiving dinner with Bill Bant and his family and friends. And uh, I've, I've watched him work and it, he knows what he's doing. He knows his way around a kitchen and the food was delicious. And so I ask you, do you make your own pizza? Have you made your own pizza? What do you put on your pizza? I haven't made a pizza in a long time, but I'm traditional pepperoni, bacon also. That'd be my my first go-to's, to be honest. It's funny, when I used to go to Hawaii for the Pro Bowl, I would always do the Hawaiian pizza. Okay, yeah, pineapple, sure. Bacon. And I yeah. think it's the only time I usually eat it. But uh, yeah, I, my number one usually now is bacon. Yeah. God, I love the bacon. Mm-hmm. I always want bacon, but I usually, yeah, I, I always do uh, pepperoni, bell pepper, and red onion. Uh, that's those are my my three ingredients. Gotcha. But um, yeah, one of my my fond fond memories was having a pizza off with my immediate family and my so that was me, my parents, my sister and brother in law, and we each teamed up. Uh, we had there was two to two to a team, so I think it was my mom and I and. There was some. There must have been somebody else involved. But regardless, my mom and I won. But you just basically had to bake your own pizza, add your own, but add your own ingredients and make a, make your own pizza, uh, specialty pizza. And then we each tasted each other's pizzas and voted on whose was the best. But our secret ing- ingredient, funny enough, was goat cheese, which is mentioned oh, in yeah. this movie. <laughs> right? Yeah. Leona was like, "It's sure selling goat cheese." She says, "Kind of." throwing away a line there in the movie. Uh, I love goat cheese, but there's another ingredient uh, you don't often see on pizzas. It's getting late and I'm hungry now. Thanks. I know. I know. Sorry. I'm thinking of now I'm starting all these other great pizza places are coming. Um, And I wish Pat duty was, we need to get Pat duty on here. He could tell you a lot about great Chicago pizza Mm -hmm. lived in the city. Regardless, I think that's it for me for questions, man. Do you have any other questions? No, that's it. Do you have any other thoughts? I think that's it. All right. So uh, let's move on to kind of a new segment. So we usually do if we recommend. So we're going to do ratings now. So we're going to rate these movies. And because it's Mystic Pizza. So on a scale of one to five pizza slices, Jason, what rating would you give Mystic Pizza? I'm going to give this three and a half slices. Okay. 3.5 delicious, cheesy slices with some of Leona's unidentified spices. All right. Cool. I, yeah. We're pretty close. I, I put it at uh, three pizza slices. I'd okay. say three. Yeah. Um, like I said, performances are great. Story needs a little work, but it's an easy watch. So, so I think yeah, both of us recommend it. And yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. We'd really appreciate the support. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook Meta at All 80s Movies Podcast or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. Next week, our Summer at the Cinema series comes to an end as we will be discussing the comedy classic National Lampoon's Vacation, starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and Anthony Michael Hall. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Bill Bant, how would I describe doing this podcast with you this evening? In a word, super. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs> <laughs>